Speaking of change, <clears throat> I read someone, a pastor in Dallas, Jeff Warren, who uh, posted this week that over 50% of people don't believe in objective truth. In other words, truth outside of their own truth. People talk about my truth or your truth. And then the other less than half of the people that do believe in objective truth uh, don't live according to that truth. So, so you have the people who don't believe God, don't believe the Bible. Uh, they, they just think that their truth is what's valid. And then you have the people that believe God in the Bible uh, but don't live according to it. And at the end of the day, you have a lot of people who are living their truth by their preference. And that's a problem because it's not just a problem of people having different beliefs or to each his own, but it's a problem that, that turns uh, into lifestyles and in relationships. And at the end of the day, it's the undoing of our society. It crumbles down what we know as society. Israel had this problem in ancient times. There was a time where they were ruled by judges. And the Bible says that during that time, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And I think that today, in our day, we can say that there's a lot of people that have no God and they do as they see fit. And the problem with kind of that kind of individual licentiousness is that it doesn't just affect the individual. It's not just a personal thing, but, but it affects everyone around them. It affects the family and affects the, the community. It affects the church. That, that that kind of thinking and living affects everything. People are changing their values. They are calling right what is wrong. And they're calling wrong what is right. They are trying to redefine things that God has already defined like marriage or gender. They are changing God's truth for something else. And those of us that believe God's truth, those of us that believe in God's word are bothered by that. We, we are concerned by those kinds of changes and we are tempted to think that change is the problem. We are tempted to, to try and resist change. We are tempted to fight against change. But I submit to you today that maybe change is not the problem. But the problem is the kind of change. The kind of change that would lead us away from God. In fact, I want to propose to you that change is actually the solution. We're trying to tie a ribbon around a series that we started several Sundays ago called Gospel, It Changes Everything. And we talked about how the gospel changes the individual who believes and the gospel changes the family, how the gospel changes whom we serve, our community. The gospel changes the church. We talked about how the gospel changes the workplace. We talked about how the gospel changes the public square. And then last Sunday, Pastor Eli talked to us about how the gospel changes the world when he told the story of Zacchaeus. And today, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to say once again, the gospel changes everything because we really want that truth to, to sort of go deep in our hearts. We began the series with Romans 1.16 and we're ending it now with Romans 1.17. So these two verses are, are, are bookending this series that we have been in. And you might remember that in verse 16, Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is not just information. The gospel is the power of God for transformation. 
It doesn't just announce something that happened, but it has the power to effect change in the person that believes. And then we come to verse 17. It says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There are two aspects of this transformative gospel that we see right away as we look at this verse. The first one is that the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. And the second one is that this righteousness is obtained or experienced by faith. I want to talk to you about this idea and how the gospel changes everything. I know it sounds like a cliche, but I just want you to, to seriously think about the implications of the gospel changing everything, and it is by faith. So the first thing I want to note is that the gospel offers us a restored relationship with God. You, you might not use the word righteousness in your everyday life. So you might ask, well, what is righteousness? More importantly, what does the Bible mean when it talks about righteousness? What, what is righteousness in this particular verse? Some of us may be inclined to think that righteousness has to do with doing the right thing, to doing what is fair and just, to observing some kind of code that, that says this person is righteous because they have kept uh, the law or they've kept a, a, a number of codes that, that talk about moral standing. And, and, and that may be right in some sense, but in the Bible, righteousness is a relationship word. Righteousness in the Bible always has to do with covenant relationship. It involves two parties that enter into covenant. And the party that keeps their end of the covenant is the righteous party. The party that relates correctly in the covenant is the person or the, or, 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 or the party who is righteous. So righteousness in the Bible can never be an individual matter. It can't just be about one person being good. Righteousness cannot exist outside of relationships. So when we see here in this verse that in the gospel that God reveals his righteousness, it's the fact that in the gospel God re reveals the fact that he wants to relate rightly to his people. It is rooted in his character. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he does everything right. Yes, he is just. But it is revealed in his relationship with us. He desires to relate to sinful humanity. He wants to be our God. And he wants to relate to us in a right way. He's a God that keeps his promises. He's a God who is faithful. And and we are a broken people, a people that cannot get to God on our own effort. There, there is nothing that we can do to be righteous on our own. Change is not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is a broken relationship with God. The reason that the world is in the shape that it's in today is because it's a broken fellowship with the Creator, the one who designed us the one who made us, the one who has ultimate purpose for us. The gospel brings about a change. The world has a change that is away from God, but the gospel brings about a different kind of change that is toward God, and that's the kind of change that we need. 
If our biggest problem is a broken relationship with God, the greatest solution is to change that. To change our, our ability to relate to God. And in the gospel, God reveals his plan and his heart for that redemption. A humanity that is broken. A humanity that is, that is far from God. But the good news is that God has done something about that. God sent his son. He didn't just send us a standard of truth. He didn't just send us a moral code. He didn't offer us a contractual agreement. He offered us his son. That's a relationship. His beloved son, his one and only son. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to relate to you. That's his righteousness right there. Showing the right relationship through Christ, and Jesus lived a righteous life. That means he kept the covenant relationship with the Father. And then he went to the cross. And at the cross, he, he took our sin and our shame, our inability to be righteous. He took our unrighteousness on himself and he died for us because he loves us. He was buried in a tomb. But he rose from the dead on the third day. And he ascended to heaven and he sits on the throne. He is king and Lord today and it is because of who Christ is and what he did on the cross that we can have a restored relationship with God. It is his righteousness that makes that possible. In the gospel, God offers us the, the deepest, most significant change that sinful humanity has ever known. There is no change that is more important than for sinful humanity to be reconciled to God. That's where everything else begins. The relationship with God is at the heart of every other important change. Every aspect of human existence changes when people are reconciled to him. I don't know about you, but I enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's fictional stories. And I'm enjoying The Rings of Power. Season 1 is over already. And I'm just kind of eager to know if season 2 is going to come out or not. But... You might know that there's a, a race of, of elves and a race of dwarves and a race of mortals and, and, that live in Middle Earth. And, uh, and, and the, the, the elves and the dwarves hadn't had a, a great relationship. But uh, the king of the elves sends Eldron to, to go talk to Prince Durin uh, and, and to restore that relationship. And, and Eldron goes in, in, good, uh, in good faith. Uh, to restore that relationship, Durin gets upset because he hasn't visited him in 40 years, which I think in Elvin is like 40 minutes. I don't know. But, uh, but, but he goes there and, and Durin is trying to figure out if there's an ulterior motive for this connection. And Elrong, uh, you know, he, he just uh, promises that no, that everything is, is in good faith. But the reality of it, I hope I'm not doing a spoiler for you, but the reality of it, is that the king of the elves does have an ulterior motive. He's looking for a particular ore that if they get it, it will save the elven race. Um, and so somehow that comes to the surface and, and the dwarves really get upset that they have been deceived, that Elrond has been used by the king and things began to fall apart. And, and uh, the, the thing that it made me think about is how the entire future and destiny of a race depended on a relationship. But when that relationship 
wasn't established correctly, then things began to fall apart. And if that's true in a fictional story, it is true in the most true story that it has ever been. That at the core of our personal and cosmic redemption is a relationship. As long as sinful humanity is alienated from God, there will be destruction and decay and depravity. But every time that a woman or a man, every time that a boy or a girl receives God's gift of salvation, like those who publicized it in the baptism, something miraculous, something cosmic, something eternal happens. Life rises from the ashes and things begin to change from the inside out. And I have a question for you today. Have you allowed God to restore your relationship with him? Have you allowed God to reconcile you to himself through Christ? Have you experienced the greatest change that any human could ever experience by trusting Christ? Secondly, the gospel offers us a transformed relationship with self. Notice that it says here that it is by faith from first to last. That means it begins with God's righteousness and it ends with our righteousness. Not a righteousness that we worked up on our own. God has the initiative. He is the one that establishes the covenant relationship. He's the one that invites us. And then through Christ, he offers righteousness to us by faith. He doesn't order us to work up our righteousness, but he offers it to us. He provides it in Christ and we receive it by faith. Here is the miracle of the gospel is that the sinner becomes righteous. Once our relationship with God changes, our relationship with self changes. Before our faith in Christ, we were alienated from God. But now that we've trusted Christ, we are adopted by the Father and when you're adopted by the Father, the way you see yourself changes. The way you understand yourself changes. When you have peace with God, you can begin to have peace with yourself. When you relate rightly to God, you relate rightly to yourself. It's not automatic, it's not instant, but it is possible now. The Apostle Paul, Paul experienced this transformation uh, before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was doing all the right things. He thought he was helping God. But when he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus, he realizes that he's fighting against God. He realizes that his biggest problem is not the Christians, it's not society. His biggest problem is himself. It is his sinful nature. And that's why he gives testimony in Galatians 2.20. And he says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what Paul realized. The old self was destructive. The old self led him away from the God he wanted to please. So he had to nail the old self to the cross. I'm crucified with Christ. But now there's a new self. It's a self that is identified with Christ. It is a self that is found that finds itself in righteousness. We may think that the problem is everywhere else. We may condemn the world. We may hate people who do the wrong things. But, but do you know that our biggest enemy is inside us? 
that is our sinful nature that tries to destroy us, that it's our sinful nature that leads us away from God, it's our sinful nature that tells us that we're not worthy, it's our sinful nature that wants us to live in shame and guilt and far away from God. But in the gospel, the way is open to relate rightly to God so that we can relate rightly to ourselves. I read this week about a Baylor University professor who, who struggled with depression and how faith helped him. I'm going to read his testimony to you in his own words. This is until I was over 40, I suffered from chronic serious depression. The depression was life-threatening and it is only by the grace of God that I did not take my own life. I was at that time a Baylor faculty member, a husband, a father. I had friends and family who loved me, students who appreciated me. I had just sold my first novel, which would be critically acclaimed and attract movie interest. While I was a long way from the deep faith I now embrace, I believed in a loving God in some form or another. But I also had bad chemicals in my brain and bad events in my life dragging me down. And I didn't have any hope that things would ever get better. These diseases running my biological family. The full story of my survival boils down to three factors. I began taking medication that let me step out of the dungeon I had occupied for so long. I did years of talk therapy with a loving counselor who could help me figure out what, what was driving my terrifying emotions. And I was taken in by a faithful group of Christians who loved me back to health and forwarded me into this life I didn't expect to live. Now, all these years later, I no longer wrestle with these dark thoughts and feelings, but my heart is open to all who do. I am healthy today. I've been granted years of life and unsuspected grace. I've been given a wife and daughters. I do meaningful work and I want people to understand that this is possible. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy does sometimes come in the morning. That is the transforming power of the gospel. The righteousness of God is his loving and redemptive way of reaching down to us, relating to us who are broken and far from him. Not only restores us to a relationship with him, but it transforms our relationship with ourselves. It's not automatic. It may not be instantaneous, but the gospel opens the way. It is possible. The power is there because of his righteousness through faith. You see, change for the Christian is normal and constant. It is a change toward God. The more that we try relate rightly to God, the more that we relate rightly to ourselves. Often we think of the gospel as something that has changed us in the past. We think of conversion as a one-time event that we left a long time ago. What, what changed us from, from sinners to saints and all that is true. But when I look at Romans 1.17, I don't see just a one-time event. I see a lifelong ongoing process. The tense of the verb in the original, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, is in the gospel the righteousness of God is being revealed. That means that, that every day as we grow in faith, we see more of God's righteousness. We know more of his righteousness. That's why we were singing, I want to know you more. I want to walk with you. If we believe the gospel, we should expect to be changed constantly. 
In fact, change is not an expectation only. It's an exhortation. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't, don't mold yourself to the pattern of the world. Instead, be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you letting God change you every day? Are you trusting him to renew your mind, to transform the way you think so that it transforms the way you live? Third and final, the gospel offers us a transforming relationship with others. When someone asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That summarizes the law and the prophets. That summarizes God's design. If you love God with everything you've got, and only Christ can make that possible. You can't love God with everything you have unless you have Christ, unless his righteousness is in you. But when you do, then you are able to love yourself. You know it's okay to love yourself because God loves you. You know, some people think that in order to trust Christ, in order to follow Christ, you have to hate yourself. You have to punish yourself. You know, God, God already put the punishment of your sins on Christ. Now it's time to rejoice. It's time to see yourself the way God sees you, to love yourself. I don't mean to exalt yourself above God. I don't mean to be filled with pride. I don't mean to, for you to, to think you're better than others. You're not. But you are loved by the Father, and that's good enough. And when you love yourself, there's a healing process that, that takes place in your life. And, and when you're able to love yourself, then you're able to love others. The reason a lot of people have problems relating to others is because they don't even like themselves. The gospel changes that. It changes our relationship with God. It changes our relationship with self and ultimately changes our relationship with everyone else. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. You know what that means? Righteousness is a lifestyle. It's not just a, a one-time step. The one who relates rightly to God relates rightly to himself and to others. The gospel is both our entrance to salvation and our existence in that salvation. It's what secures our eternal destiny. And it's also what guides our earthly living. It's about the person, but it's also about all peoples. It's about heaven and it's about our home. It's about the church and it's about the community. It's about the sacred and it's about the secular. In fact, I would say that those who follow Jesus should not separate the sacred and the secular. For the Christ follower, for the righteous, for the person who walks by faith in Christ, there is nothing secular. Everything is sacred. Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means wherever you are, at home or at work, at Taco P, or on the golf course, at school, or talking to your neighbor, there's holiness there. There's sacredness there. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And all of life becomes immersed in the gospel. The gospel is more than three circles. The gospel is more than a presentation of how people can come to Christ. That's important and we should do that. But it's more than that. The gospel is a lifestyle. 
The gospel is the way you talk to your wife. The gospel is the way you treat your children. The gospel is the way you do your work. The gospel is the way you study. The gospel is the way that you treat your neighbors. The gospel is the way that, that you talk to the server at the restaurant or the flight attendant. The gospel is always at work in you. The righteousness of God revealed in you from faith, by faith, from first to last. That's why the story of Zacchaeus was so powerful. I'm, I'm so glad that Eli got to share it with you. Because Zacchaeus, when he came and encountered Christ, that undeserving favor, that unconditional love, changed his relationship with God, changed his relationship with himself. I'm sure Zacchaeus hated himself, regretted a lot of things. But when he was accepted by Jesus, he, he, there was joy in that house that day. But it didn't stay inside of him. It went out to others. He, he paid back those that he had cheated. And then he was generous beyond that. That's the kind of change that I need. That's the kind of change that we need today. The world needs to change. We need to change. Change is not the problem. It's the solution. But it's the kind of change that moves us toward God. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel changes everything. It's not just a slogan. It's not just a serious title. It's not just a cliche. It really does. And I hope that you realize that. And I hope that every day by faith you let that take place. The gospel changes the individual who trusts Christ. Have you trusted Christ for salvation? The gospel changes the family. Are you believing God? to do his transforming work in your family. The gospel changes the community. Are you walking by faith in a way that you make a difference in your community? The gospel changes the workplace. Are you living by faith at work? Are you letting God be glorified with the way that you work, with the way you relate to others? The gospel changes the public square. Are you believing God to be at work? in the craziness of the public square. The gospel changes the world. Are you trusting God to ultimately bring about his righteousness as you and I live by faith every day? In his righteousness, God wants to make you righteous. I want to invite you today to get right with God by faith in Christ, to get right with yourself as you trust Christ to change you and to get right with others as you let the gospel be displayed in your life. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christ and his incredible work of redemption for your love for us Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to receive this by faith, not by works, but by trusting you. And Father, today I pray that whatever it is that you're calling us to do individually or corporately, whether those that are in person or those that are watching online, how do we need to trust you? How do we need to believe so that this gospel power can be unleashed 
in our lives and families and communities and the whole world. Help us to take that step of faith today, to trust you, to obey you, and then watch you work. I want to invite you, as the music starts, if you, if you want to trust God in some way, would you come and just kneel here at the altar and trust him with whatever it is that you need to trust him with. Maybe your life, maybe an aspect of your life, maybe someone else you're praying for. This is a time for you to just kind of step out of your seat and, and, and physically make a commitment, physically 